house. No, the right no, house. I did it. Get we want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. Huh. You mean the existential detectives? What kind of investigation? Existential. You'll spy? Yes. On me? Yes. Will you be spying on me in the bathroom? Yes. What are you doing here, Brad? What? 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 Brad, you're killing me! <laughs> Shut up! Yeah. Shut up! Everything is connected and everything matters. Now, isn't that cool? Human drama is inevitable. Suffering cannot be diminished. How am I not myself? How am I not myself? Myself. You don't plant no tree in the parking lot! How's the sex? How's the sex? We're private about our seven minutes of heaven. Eight minutes of heaven. It's not quality, it's quantity. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast lost in the Neverland of Garrett Hedlund's, Jai Courtney's, and various uh, anonymous blonde would-be leading men. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy. I am your host, Chris File, and I'm here as always with my co-host, Joe Reed. Joe... Have you ever transcended time and space? Uh, space, not time. No, I don't know what you're talking about. Ah. This, by the way, that was from that was the very beginning of the trailer for I Heart Huckabees. And that Indeed was like was. the moment I was like, yes, I love this. Like, yes. Absolute love. Before we get into it, because we are on a very momentous episode, we have wanted to do this movie for a very long time, I think, from the very beginning of talking about this podcast, we've talked about doing this movie, Um, but we are still taking questions for our upcoming mailbag episode, so please, uh, you can either tweet them at us or email us at hadoscarbuzz at gmail.com. Our Twitter account, once again, is had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. Please send us your questions. That'll be just a few weeks away. It's our Christmas present to you, listeners. So yeah, Joseph. yes, we love to shower our listeners with gifts. So, and by gifts, I mean you ask us stuff, and we will deign to respond to you. That is yeah. our gift to you. I'm very excited. Truly, for it will that. be a fun um, episode. Yeah, yeah. You guys, all, uh, once again, you guys had amazing questions, and we loved them when we did that last time. We're excited. We to had way more, way more episode. questions. <laughs> yes, sorry. I'll yeah. let you say that again. <laughs> no, that's okay. We're having some technical difficulties today. Oh, it's a disaster, you guys. <laughs> That's okay. Joseph, how happy were you to, or how hearty were you to revisit I Heart Huckabees? <laughs> I hearted it uh, quite a bit. This is one of those movies I probably could have done a podcast on it without watching it right before because I know this I movie know. so well. Yeah. I know absolutely. every little beach whip, but I'm so glad I got a, a chance to watch it through the eyes of what do I want to talk about on this podcast? Because there's so many sort of little things and little angles to it. We're going to obviously talk about David O. Russell and the sort of evolution of his kind of public persona and how these, mm-hmm. you know, the film community 
has come to view him. Um, the cast this is the is one that makes the most sense for that persona to me. Yeah, I think so. I think so too. I think this is the movie that sort of is the crux of the more. I mean, flirting with disaster though has a little bit of that same. Like I, I wrote down in my notes, um, what if Wes Anderson was very angry, and that's sort of <laughs> David O. Russell. Um, at least in this phase, right? In this flirting with disaster, yeah, yeah, yeah. I Heart Huckabee's phase. And like in between those two movies came Three Kings. And Three Kings is a little bit more towards the kinds of movies that he would make after I Heart Huckabee's. But these comedies, especially this and Flirting with Disaster, are this sort of absurdist stuff with a little bit of like anger, a little bit of darkness to it. And... Um, I guess Spanking the Monkey, too, but I don't really want to talk about that movie. So it's really I've fun. never seen Spanking the um, Monkey. I'm going to pass on that one. But uh, there's also yeah, a certain seen, like, sense. Yeah, I've like, pieces, and it's not that great. You hear about, like, what a David O. Russell set is like um, and, like, what those shoots are like <laughs> right. from his actors. And it's like, it just sounds like chaos and like this movie is incredibly chaotic in a really funny way that like it's the natural extension of when you hear those set stories for his movies it's like oh they look like this all the time right they look like Huckabees um yeah and like of course we will talk about the very public uh the set life of this movie that yeah kind of underlies how the sweetness of this movie because like yes this is an angry movie but there is a certain like sweetness to it that oh for sure i find appealing because it's not like if this was just an angry movie it would be so unbearable maybe (laughs) Uh, especially because it is kind of a very bro-y perspective Like, it just teeters on the line of being, like, condescending to these characters, I think. Um, But we can get into it. It's a movie that starts with Albert's sort of inner monologue being like, fuck, fuck, fucking hell. Like, he's just, like, this, like, string of curses and this, like, this, you know, sort of troubled mind at work, or at least, like, this burdened mind at work, right, who is just, like, he's really pissed off at himself and his circumstances and everything. And then it ends with this sort of sweet moment of connection between him and the Mark Wahlberg character. So it, it there's definitely, like, an arc to it. It doesn't sort of stay in this place of darkness. And actually, a lot of the movie is about sort of toggling between these sort of light and dark philosophical approaches mm-hmm. to life. Um, and we'll the need the for balance between too. the both, too, right? Because you yes. obviously have the Isabelle Huppert character, who's the nihilist, opposite Lily Tomlin and Dustin Hoffman's more, like, existential side. Right. And it's like, the ultimate lesson is, like, you can't really have one without the other, and you kind of need both. To jump right to the end very quickly at the beginning, I'll answer the last question <laughs> first. Sort of, um, uh, I love that thing at the end where you can't quite tell for sure whether the three of them were working in cahoots this whole time. And even Mm -hmm. in the part where Schwartzman goes, come on, be honest, you guys are working together. And Lily Tomlin's response is this sort of like over the top, seems like she's lying when she's like, no, we would never. And then Dustin Hoffman's response is a lot more grounded in like, I assure you, we are not, we've never worked, or we were not working together. Come on, you guys work together, don't you? No, we don't work together at all. Really? It's not like some secret deal where she picks up where you leave off and then we come back to you? Believe me, there is no secret deal. 
Well, there should be, because that's the way it works. You're too dark and you're not dark enough. You three were close, right? Maybe too close. And then it went sour and it propelled you into one extreme and you into another extreme. So voila! Two overlapping, fractured philosophies were born out of that one pain. <gasps> Albert! Wow. And you believe him and you don't believe her. So in the same, even in the same like scene, even just in the line readings, we're getting two different messages about that, which I really like, that we're just really going to live in this place of mystery with, if they weren't working together, the happy accident of their sort of professional falling out has led to this sort of Charlotte light and dark uh, balance between the two of them. It's very, I don't know. It's one of the many, many cool things I think about the the script of this movie and how it, and the, and how the script works with the performances, which I think it's so funny that this is the movie that had, you know, the video come out of him having screaming matches with his actors, because like, it's a movie where the direction and the script and the acting is such in harmony with it with yeah. itself that like how I you know however it works and obviously I'm not going to condone like berating your actors to get good performances out of them but like whatever happened on that set the end result I think is something really really special. Correct me if I'm wrong, but even we're obviously talking about the screaming match, the several screening match, screaming matches he had where the set footage leaked between him and Lily Tomlin. But correct right. me if I'm wrong, Lily Tomlin has come out and spoken positively. I believe of, that's true. Yeah. And, and her comments were something to the effect of like things happen on a movie set, you disagree and those type of things. And the suggestion it gave to me is that like this isn't her first rodeo of a shitty director. Well, and it was her second time working with him. I can't imagine that yeah, like, if like there was they, this personal conflict, it didn't also come up during the flirting with disaster shoot. And like maybe well, she that there are just some, some people concept of like what he yeah. was like as a person. And maybe there's you know this thing where like maybe two sort of tempestuous you know personas mm-hmm. clash in that way. Although she's not the first person he's clashed with. Famously, he and George Clooney got into a fist fight of some sort on the set of Three Kings, which we can talk about on our eventual Three Kings episode. But yes, they yeah. got into a physical altercation on set. Yes, boy, oh boy, boy. Yeah, oh I think boy, David O. Russell's indeed. a very um, complicated figure to talk about. I think, especially now after that sort of rebirth he had and all the Jennifer Lawrence movies and it, and he doesn't seem like that great of a guy. And yet like he's made so many movies that I either love or find to be interesting, even when they're like interesting failures. I think joy is one mm-hmm. of the more interesting failures of the last 10 years, I feel like we should be talking about that movie more than we do. And that movie came along at like exactly the right moment because that's the point where we were all like, okay, enough of this. David O. Russell is a bad guy. Yeah. But then he made this movie that's actually like interesting and thoughtful and kind of, and at least more so than we thought. And it was essentially just sold to us on Jennifer Lawrence. Right. Um, Yes. Joy is in many ways David O. Russell's Vanilla Sky in that it came to us at a time when we were just like, all right, enough. You know what I mean? And like we weren't and then we were able to like fully put it aside. But yet if you like really delve into it, there's a fascinating like several layers of like director and star um, persona issues and and, um, 
you know, what they're, what they're talented at and what kinds of characters they can play or not play credibly. It's, mm-hmm. I think there's an interesting through line between the two of them. It's one of Jennifer Lawrence's best performances. She's great. She's absolutely great in it. It I also really features uh, Bradley Cooper playing David O. Russell. <laughs> yes, also that. Well, I mean, we've talked about this before because I remember I clipped the line what, that Isabel, or, uh, Isabella Rossellini says about um, when you are facing... Adversary uh, in commerce? An adversary in commerce. <laughs> <laughs> you are in a room and there is a gun on the table. And the only other person in the room is an adversary in commerce. Only one of you can prevail. Yet, you have protected your business and Maurice's money. Do you pick up the gun, Troy? (laughs) That's what you hear at the gates of heaven um, when you arrive there, is Isabella Rossellini saying adversary and gun on the table. (laughs) Is it a gun or is it a knife? Yes. No, it's a gun because you do you do you shoot that gun, right? Uh, yeah. Or do you take the gun? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty sure it's a gun. Anyway, <laughs> never speak on behalf <laughs> of my business. Of my business. <laughs> I also clipped that. We definitely have had my family for sure. <laughs> never speak on my behalf about my business again. Again, which like, okay, so like the popular joke of that is that she forgot her line, but like also known of David O. Russell's sets is he just like screams lines at you. Yeah, So it's like, where's the footage of that where he's just deciding what she's saying and he's slowly (laughs) screaming them at them. So between each like, you know, decade before she says another word, is David O. Russell screaming those words? Oh boy. Yeah. Chaos. Chaos all around. We should maybe get into the 60-second plot description because, like, to really talk about Huckabees is going to just, like, drop you down a full rabbit hole just for the movie itself. Uh But, like, I definitely want to talk about Searchlight. I want to talk about, like, arty comedies in 2004 and, like, where this falls in that line. So we should mention, as we talked about, the movie is written and directed by David O. Russell. The script was also written with Jeff Baina. I would not be surprised if that was Jeff Baina's script and David O. Russell completely overhauled (laughs) it in the way that he has done with every single movie he has made. Um, Yeah. Cast also stars Jason Schwartzman, the aforementioned Lily Tomlin and Dustin Hoffman, Jude Law, Mark Wahlberg, Naomi Watts, and Isabelle Huppert, and then a like slew of the most insane cameos you've ever seen in a film, yeah. including Talia Shire, Shania Twain, Tippi Hedren, Gene Smart, Richard Jenkins, Jonah Hill, and Isla Fisher. The movie had its world premiere. It was a gala at TIFF in 2004. I can't imagine just like seeing this with the premiere audience at the Roy Thompson Hall, having Uh. no idea what the hell they were about to watch. Um, But then it opened limited in October. um, And I think for this movie, it did actually reasonably well box office wise let me pull it up i think it did like 14 million dollars which like can you imagine not only a distributor like fox searchlight releasing this movie today but that they can get it to that kind of money particularly when they have like lucy in the sky make three hundred thousand dollars yeah it made 12 million dollars domestic oh my which is kind of that's crazy (laughs) 
what a time to be alive, 2004, with the uh, the indie scene of 2004. Like, to be able to make $12 million off of I Heart Huckabees. I mean, we'll get There's into There's no way it, that even hits like, a theater these days, right? I mean, maybe not. But, like, or, or, like, it's the type of thing that is, like, distributed by IFC, and it shows up in whatever theaters they can book it in, and it's gone in two weeks because it's, it's just so, like, weird and idiosyncratic. But I think, like, that box office clout kind of speaks to, and again, we'll get into it, just, like, the power that Searchlight has mm-hmm. um, and the type of theaters that they can get booked into. And it's, like, this is the ascension of when Searchlight monies, Searchlight, excuse me, movies started making serious money. Yeah, But as I mentioned, we will get into it. Joseph, would yes. you like the unenviable task of doing our 60-second plot description on I Heart Huckabees? Yeah, sure. Why not? Yeah, Why it's your not? turn. You yeah. get this difficult one. I can't imagine. I know. There's a lot I of plot. There's a lot going on. Yeah, I would have spent a good 30 seconds talking about Isabella Pear. <laughs> it's true. But if you are ready, I yes. will start your timer. Are you ready? I am ready. Sorry, yes, I am. Are you ready to transcend time and space? I am, yes. I'm going to have to get all of this in, yeah. All right. Your 60-second plot description for I Heart Huckabees starts now. All right, so Jason Schwartzman plays a uh, open spaces activist named Albert Markovsky, who has gone to a pair of existential detectives played by Lily Tomlin and Dustin Hoffman in order to help solve a coincidence of his where he keeps seeing the same um, African man in different places and he doesn't know whether it's meaningful or not. But really why he's really going to these people is because subconsciously, I feel like um, he's got uh, he's got problems with this guy, Brad Stand, who is the corporate Huckabee's guy who was assigned to this task force that Albert's on and he's taken over this task. He's um, uh, sort of ruining Albert's life. And so Brad is this corporate sort of stooge. He's got this girlfriend played by Naomi Watts, who is the face of Huckabees. And and, uh, Brad ends up trying to destroy Albert. And he also goes to the existential detectives to try and undermine him. And meanwhile, Albert and um, Tommy, who is the firefighter played by Mark Wahlberg, are both. Oh, my God. They team up and they get. I'm not going to be able to do this. I've totally been fully, fully defeated. By the 60-second plot description. That is your time. I think the only way that a 60-second plot description of I Heart Huckabees could appropriately end is having an existential crisis of your own like you just did. That's true. (laughs) You you hit the the wall where you suddenly realize, like, I can't. I can't do this. I can't describe what happens with Tommy without, like, saying what's going on with Tommy. Like, Tommy's whole deal is almost as important as Albert's by the time you get into them being each other's, you know, other. And then they have to go and seek out Katerine on their Mm -hmm. own. And in the meantime, Brad is, like, breaking down psychologically because Dawn starts taking the existential detective seriously. and, And they get under Brad's skin. And then there's the whole Huckabee's uh Unveiling Meanwhile, of the, the Huckabee's like, promotional thing and which the promotional the spaces thing is and the marsh, Twain. right? The whole thing is okay. The Shania Twain thing I think is so funny because you mentioned all the different cameos in this movie: Shania Twain, uh, Tippi Hedren, and all these people. Shania, to her great credit, shows up even though. Shania in this movie is kind of a symbol 
of the banality of Brad's character that he's so into Shania Twain of all people who was like and like bland corporate consumerism as well. Corporate country, bland Canadian, whatever, right. That's why because who are, who's the other person who they talk about Brad being very into on a celebrity level is Pete Sampras, which I think is the <laughs> perfect. Like you talk about like white bread boring competence like Pete Sampras was the greatest tennis player of all time and I couldn't stand him because his he played such a boring sort of top-down like dominating game of tennis and he was so not interesting to watch and as a personality he was such a dud. And so of course that's exactly who Brad would um you know gravitate to and I would have loved the version of I Heart Huckabee's that also had a Pete Sampras cameo in it because just like how perfect. But like good for Shania I feel like for being you know, maybe she didn't. I mean, I want to give Shania the benefit of the doubt that she got it. She knew what you know. Oh yeah, I was gonna say we are not saying. to uh, we are not here sullying the good name of Shania Twain, and uh, you know we want to be free and feel the way we feel. Let's go, girls. Yes. <laughs> Bob Gunton sings. <laughs> Took me a with second. That song in this movie. Bob Gunton. Okay, that's the other thing is. It's not just all those like top name cameos or whatever. It's like uh, it's Bob Gunton. It's Kevin Dunn. Kevin Dunn getting the line reading of the universe to me. And she said, Fuckabees. Hey, you've been given everything by Huckabees. Fuckabees. Wow. wow. Bradley. Wow. There's board members here. Hey, something or else. The it's not going to look too good looking. for a new corporate guy. What? I got yeah. corporate. You got corporate. I got yeah, corporate. You got corporate. Now get corporate and go and contain her. All right. She said, Fuckabees. Yeah. She said, fuck. The way he's like, he's panicking as he's telling Brad, just like, go, go after her. She said, fuck. She said, fuck. Oh, God. She said, fuck. The way that that line (laughs) reading suggests that, like, fuckabees is like a red alert. Yeah, like word in like the Huckabee's contract <laughs> that like if somebody says it, they have invoked nuclear war or something. Like right, it's a right. Known, it's so funny. It's it's so great. Talia Shire has a fantastic single scene as Albert's mother. Um, her Who is Talia Shire act- going up against mother. Isabel Huppert. Um, yes, right. His actual mother, Jason Schwartzman, of course, part of the uh, great Coppola acting and and producing family. Um, but Talia Shire going toe to toe with Isabelle Huppert, where uh, Katerine is so like passive aggressive and like sort of brushes her off and doesn't even like take her on head on. And meanwhile, Talia Shire's been like, "What are you a bitch? She's a bitch. Like, how many kids you got, bitch?" I loved that line reading too. Like, there's so many just like real doozies. Um, the Richard Jenkins Gene Smart scene, which is like one of the great scenes that like it's sort of a timeout from the movie right you don't quite mm-hmm. know like it doesn't make a ton of logical sense that they would have been like come in and like have a meal with us or whatever and then watching the part of that scene where because it's i guess to explain um albert and tommy sort of like go rogue from the existential detectives and they go to follow katarine and they find albert's um this african man that albert keeps running into and he ends up being uh he's living with this christian family who have sort of um taken him in i guess is how they would probably describe so that they can make themselves look better 
Exactly. I think we all sort of have, you know, know or know of sort of these Christian families who who do these kind of things. And, you know, not to besmirch people's intentions, but this family, at least, was definitely sort of getting high off of their own Christianity because of this. But at the there's a moment in that scene, and Jonah Hill, of course, plays one of their ch- their oldest uh, child, and um, he was nobody at this point. And... Anyway, there's a point in that scene where there are two separate arguments happening where Albert is arguing with Gene Smart about, I don't even know what their argument's about. But uh, And then off to the, you cut to the other end of the table and Richard Jenkins and, and Mark Wahlberg are yelling at each other about petroleum and about uh, oil reserves and whatnot. And it's so, it's a very... 2004 presidential election reminder of like that's sort of what a lot of the conversations in America were about, which was about like gas guzzling cars and also um, a lot of this like suburban sprawl. And that's what sort of touches off this this conversation, this argument is that Albert mentions that he fights suburban sprawl and Richard Jenkins sort of, you know, knows a liberal when he sees one and sort of touches off these arguments. What Albert and Gene Smart are arguing about is when Albert, uh, in talking about the suburban sprawl thing, he says, like, you know, we don't want to cover everything in concrete and houses until nobody even knows what it's like to st- when you stand in a meadow at dusk anymore. And the daughter just goes, <laughs> what happens when you stand in a meadow at dusk? And Gene Smart goes, nothing. And nothing. Albert goes, everything. And they're just like, just, just nothing, everything, nothing, everything. But it's just the way Gene Smart just goes, just goes, nothing, nothing happens in a meadow at dusk. It's, it's so good. <laughs> Talking about not covering every square inch of populated America with houses and strip malls until you can't even remember what happens when you stand in a meadow at dusk. What happens in the meadow at dusk? Everything. 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 That scene is interesting uh, for the point that I was going to bring up. We've talked a lot about movies because, like, a lot of Oscar prestige came from, like, we're going to deal with the war in Afghanistan, we're going to deal with the war in Iraq, all of that. But, like, this is one of the more, like, interesting, like, what the after effects of September 11th were because like even down to the line of Lily Tomlin being like he's been uh, having a hard time since the September thing Um, yes yeah which is like when do they ever at this time nobody was making like coy jokes about September 11th in like a glib way but like you see this a lot with Tommy because Tommy was a firefighter and he was traumatized by um and he's like uh He's like what he's going through is like the whole. You mentioned the petroleum thing, but um, yeah, I don't know where I was going with that with Tommy. But like you see it in I think, just like I think... what masculinity and consumerism was post nine yes. eleven, and how like even these ideals can be kind of like a consumer product. Um, yeah, and that I think for a movie that was it gets to be like combative. Yeah, well, that's when it sort of becomes most foregrounded. But I think for a movie that was often, when it was criticized, was criticized for sort of being up its own ass with the philosophical stuff. Um, and I'll get to that in a second. Um, but this is a movie that like has its feet very much planted in the world. And it just sort of, it, it, it approaches these current events things and world's things from this kind of, it takes these glancing blows off of them, right? And mostly it's not Mm -hmm. about, this isn't a movie about, as you said, 9-11 or the oil shortage or whatever. But obviously this Tommy character is a firefighter and he's trying to sort of, we see, the first thing we see him in, his wife or his girlfriend is leaving him and taking their child because she doesn't want to live with this guy who's sort of, you know, constantly rattling off these conspiracy theories because ultimately he's 
not sure how he can live in this world and sort of like reckon with his own essentially carbon footprint, but also just like, you know, living in a world where you can't do anything about things like, you know, foreign wars or environmental catastrophe. And so he's just become gone to this like dark philosophical place of what matters, nothing matters if, you know, if... And also that you can't change other people's minds about it. Like that's kind of what that, when you see him arguing with everybody, especially that... He's so aggressive, yeah. He's trying to make them see his worldview and and he's powerless to do so, obviously. And a lot of this whole philosophical thing, this is why I kind of don't get the reviews of this movie. And I get anybody not be not just signing up for how crazy this movie is. But, like, we're talking about very, like, serious things and, like, very, like, grave, uh, like, philosophical, like, dark material. But this movie is really so silly and funny and, like... yes. unpretentious at the same time because of the tone that it strikes and that's why I don't get some of the critical reception for this movie because it's like well you're clearly just almost willfully misunderstanding it if you're going to call this movie pretentious pretentious or even like all that dense actually because ultimately for as much as you know Bernard and Vivian talk about these philosophical concepts, especially Bernard with the blanket and infinity and, and, and sometimes you'll get Wahlberg sort of like spouting all this sort of like jargony stuff, but like, that's not to be understood in the textbook way. It's sort of, that's the funny thing. Like that's sort of part of the joke. And ultimately it's very easy to boil down the philosophical stuff into the Jaffe's preach interconnectedness and Katarine preaches like emptiness, isolation, nihilism, whatever. And like those are just two polar opposite philosophical approaches and the movie is about finding your way from one to the other and then sort of coming up with a resolution that mixes a little bit of both of them. And like ultimately that's not that hard. Like yeah. interconnection well, versus isolation is not is that, that hard like, of a concept to get. Under if you are looking for understanding you are not going to find it. And you, the movie is about accepting the fact that you can't understand everything. And that's also the source of the movie's humor. And I feel like it's pretty plain for this movie. Not to, like, throw off anybody's perception of what this movie is. But, like, I don't think it's that hard to grasp that that's what this movie no. is doing. Agreed. I agree. It's. I mean, ulti- maybe it's the type of thing that people were just taking kind of a bad faith assessment to. The movie is also just a lot. <laughs> it's a lot, but there's so many. I think to to miss the humor of this movie because you're a little you're annoyed at having to like juggle these philosophical concepts, or that you think the movie doesn't earn the. Um, level of intelligence it tries to speak to. I think that was a lot of the thing of just like this movie thinks Mm -hmm. it's so smart, but it's not. And it's like, I don't know if the movie thinks it's so smart. Like, I think there's intelligence to the movie, but it's just like, it all comes back to this place of humor. I don't know. And the humor is so... It's like you can't make... The the suggestion there is that you can't make a movie that's about these things and have jokes about her bonnet. Like, they expect the movie to be either completely philosophical or completely stupid. And that's totally missing the boat. My favorite thing about the humor in this movie is that it's not one type. Like, there's so many different types. Some of it's very dry. Some of it's very just sort of like, 
um, line based, just sort of just like someone will just like throw a one liner or a non sequitur out there and just sort of like let it sit and you don't get it for a second. And then all of a sudden it's just like, just because it's been left there to sit, like it's very funny, like, or Mm -hmm. someone will, you'll get like a thing in the, something will happen after somebody says something and somebody else will react sort of in the background of a thing. When Tommy's like yelling at everybody in that meeting and you just see Brad off to the side, making the like time out, like it's so goofy in that way. It's a very, very, like you met, you mentioned the, the, you said you didn't think it's dense. I think this is actually a pr- not dense as in stupid, but like this movie. This is why it's such an easily rewatchable movie, and this is why we we're like we could just do an episode without having to rewatch this movie, um, even yeah. though it's such a treat to rewatch it. Um, because like, there's so much going on. Like it's the type of movie where you actually get to see the ensemble interacting. So it's like yes. you can still really pick it apart for all of the fun things that are happening and like what everybody's saying. Like, what's the... Yeah. I caught something, and I can't remember what it is, the Moncala scene. Moncala hour. Where, like, yeah, yeah, everybody yeah. seems to... Everybody in the room seems to be pissed off about something else when it gets interrupted, and everybody's... Naomi Watts said something, and I picked it up for the first time. Um, I forget. But it's that type of thing, right? Where... She's so great in everything that. Everything is so, great so defined... Oh yeah, she's yeah. this is her best performance. I believe we've said that on mic before. It's a lot of people's. It's my favorite Mark Wahlberg performance. It's Mine it's probably well. my favorite. It's if if not better than Mulholland Drive, the fact that she can pull off Mulholland Drive and this is such a I think you it's know better than Mulholland Drive. She's um, so but yes, funny. that's like that's the high wire act right there that she can just take these big leaps and Yeah. Watching Jude we won't get Law too much into in, Naomi Watts in case we do a Naomi Watts episode or mini series. Yeah, but like just 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 know that like she's within the the confines of this movie, she finds so many different ways to make that character funny but not um pathetic. I think it would be very easy to make her character pathetic because ultimately she's the like she's the beauty queen and and the pitch the you know advertising statement for Huckabees Mm -hmm. and yet and she ultimately realizes that like that part of her life was totally empty and it would be very easy to punch down at a character like that and she really really at every point just maintains Dawn's dignity even when she's sort of like that part where she's mixing up quantity and quality talking about their sex life and Mm -hmm. kind of like having this maniacal laugh about it and you can tell it's like She's sort of slowly breaking down psychologically, and it's just like she manages to keep Don's dignity even through that, which is just and the slapstick scenes where she's like grabbing Isla Fisher's face and yeah. like fully having her break down. That little elephant walk she does with the shopping bags when she goes <laughs> when she's making she's trying to record the commercial the first time she goes back with the with the bonnet look on, and she's trying to sell. I think it's shirts, and she goes, it's just new like shirts, and for the new season, they're really, she's like, last year, not so good. <laughs> they were bad. This year's are better. And it's just such a, and then she does this, like, sad <laughs> elephant walk with the with the shopping bags, and I think this podcast is just going to be me recounting my favorite scenes from of this I, Heart, I Heart Huckabee's um, describing them. Uh, I, I love Naomi Watts in this movie. Jude Law, also, who we can... Again, we could probably do an entire podcast about Jude Law, but the 
the way this he is plays... also the year of Jude Law. Oh, yes, that's true. I, it's so funny that when I watch this movie, I don't think of that. When I watch any of the other movies from the Jude Law you 2004, I do it. think of that. That's because this one is so yeah. different from the rest of those performances, and it's kind of... This is why people shouldn't have been so hard on him, because there is a self-awareness about his whole persona that goes into this mm-hmm. performance that, like... Mm-hmm. It feels like an actor commenting on their own persona. Granted, like he wouldn't have thought of it, it wouldn't have been in his mind of like I'm in all these movies at once. But right. like the charminess of it, the smarminess of Jude Law, and the way he comes across is like text for this movie. There are two scenes in this movie where he he references the chicken salad sandwich uh, story with Shania. The first one when he tells the story to the group and he's, you know, such a cut up about it. And then the second one where Vivian and Bernard play him the recording of him saying that same story over and over and over again, which by the way, as a person who finds himself telling the same stories a lot is a horror movie scene to watch to have to have to realize that like people are clocking it when you tell the same stories all over again it's terrifying i think about that doing a podcast all the time like how many times have i mentioned this same fucking anecdote i'm like have only like four things ever happened to me um but watching him react to that and sort of it like wash over his face that like oh my god i am this like at some level, this, like, boring, banal person. And I love that it's chicken salad sandwich, because obviously, if you're, like, a movie fan, and, like, Shirley MacLaine mentioned it in her Oscar speech, the chicken salad sandwich scene in Five Easy Pieces, which is, like, one of the great movie scenes of all time, where Jack Nicholson is trying to order plain toast, and he has to, like, go the runaround of, like, ordering a chicken salad sandwich and then saying, hold the chicken salad. You've got bread and a toaster of some kind. I don't make the rules. Okay, I'll make it as easy for you as I can. I'd like an omelet, plain, and a chicken salad sandwich on wheat toast. No mayonnaise, no butter, no lettuce, and a cup of coffee. Number two, chicken salad sand. Hold the butter, the lettuce, the mayonnaise, and a cup of coffee. Anything else? Yeah, now all you have to do is hold the chicken, bring me the toast, give me a check for the chicken salad sandwich, and you haven't broken any rules. You want me to hold the chicken, huh? I want you to hold it between your knees. <laughs> it's a clinic of being able to act around a persona of somebody who is charming to the characters in the movie, but repulsive to the audience, and he really nails it. Well, and also the just the ways that all of that charm is such a performance and, like, is to cover up all mm. of his vulnerability and all of his insecurities yep. as well that I don't know of another performer who could play all of those notes in the, in the way yeah. that Jude Law does and still make it really, really funny. Because, like, especially at this time in the mid-2000s, like who was that like faux charming person if not Jude Law it speaks so well of him as a intelligent actor i think it that you know there's so much self awareness it's maybe my favorite performance of his i think i would have given him yeah. the oscar this year for supporting actor um in a very you know in a crowded field that includes competition from this movie, because as you and I were talking about this last night, I mentioned how much I loved Jude Law, and you brought up the very important point that 
It's Mark Wahlberg's best performance. Which, like, I don't like Mark Wahlberg whatsoever. Not as a person, and often not as an actor, but... Very often not an actor. I feel like this is something I've said on mic before, where he he is good when he has two modes, and both of those modes are in play in this movie. This is when Mark Wahlberg is good, when he is playing someone who is stupid and doesn't know it, or yeah. is taking themselves way more seriously than they should. And yeah. that is text of the movie, not just like he's a super it's the serious bo- It's the Boogie guy. Nights formula. Yeah. What are the yeah. good Mark Wahlberg performances? It's this, it's Boogie Nights, it's... People really like him in The Departed. I, I'm, I think he's a little less impressive than other people, but like that's fine. He's not bad. Yeah, I agree. I think he's very director dependent. I think when he has a director with a strong vision and with a you know strong hands, he's able to deliver something really good. I think the ultimate what happens when Mark Wahlberg is not given good direction is the happening. I think you oh, watch. Man that movie and and i'm fully convinced because he's playing somebody who's supposed to be smart and is convicted in their intelligence that is not something if what mark Wahlberg should be playing is people who are convicted in their intelligence and they're stupid such as yes i think yeah i think that really works and i think also like Shyamalan did not communicate the type of heightened atmosphere that his movie was going for to his actors. And so Wahlberg and Zoe Deschanel, I think, are at sea in that movie. And you don't want to see what happens when Mark Wahlberg doesn't have an idea of what kind of movie he's making because he the really whole can't. movie is Mark Wahlberg explaining things like you explain to very small children when bad things but happen. But to adults, yes. But to yeah. adults, yes. It's also, I mean, it's the Mark Wahlberg talks to a chicken thing from SNL. It's that same sort of tone of voice of this kind of like, can't believe I'm talking to you. Like, um, which is the same thing as know. like Mark Wahlberg flirting voice. Like, whenever he's like in a <laughs> yeah. movie, like macking hard on a woman, like possibly grossly. And like, it's the same tone of voice. Like, it's very Hey Girl. Yeah. And it drives me to, well. He also he would obviously also show up later in another David O. Russell movie as the lead character in The Fighter. And I think one of the interesting things about The Fighter is it's one of those movies where the main character is so much less interesting than everybody around him. And I think to Wahlberg's credit, he doesn't try to work against that. I don't think he tries to make a claim for the spotlight in that movie. I think he very willingly allows Amy Adams to be the more interesting performer in their scenes together. I think mm-hmm. he allows J- uh, Christian Bale to be the more interesting performer. And maybe and he probably doesn't have it in him to like snatch that back if he wanted to, but it's not like he doesn't even try and I think that is good for him. And I think I generally like him in The Fighter, but I think a lot of that is the fact that he's sort of taking the backseat in a lot of those scenes. Right. I mean, somebody has to with M- Melissa Leo in that movie yeah yeah and Bale too like Bale's I mean I think they're both very good they both won Oscars and I think deservedly so although I absolutely would have voted for Amy Adams to beat Mm -hmm. Melissa Leo I think that's it's it's the one performance I mean I think she's I think Arrival's maybe her best work but like that's a different conversation with what was happening in that race. I think Amy Adams is Amy Adams in The Fighter is maybe like the best performance in a David O. Russell movie 
I would probably go to say. Well, in, also in Amy like, Adams in American <laughs> Hustle. I think I think she gives the two best performances in David O. Russell movies. It's The Fighter and American Hustle. I think she's so great in both of those movies. And then right behind that for me would be Law and Wahlberg in Huckabees. He is, for a, for a director who has been so publicly unmasked as being con- co- contentious and uh, combative with his cast, he gets so many great performances out of his actors. From people that have worked with him before. Yeah. Yes. It's like... Bradley it, Cooper's it, been phenomenal for him. Um, Bale's performance in The Fighter is great. So many people in Huckabees. So many people in Three Kings. So many people in... I don't know. I mean, he's just like, he's a really good, you would call him an actor's director if you didn't know for a fact that he curses them out and gets into fights with them. Yes. It's the strangest thing. <laughs> Talk about the video. Explain the, explain the leaked video from the set of, uh, of the I thing about the leaked video. It's him blowing. The one is like, it's the scene with the chalkboard and you can see him actually in the frame cussing out and like not just being like this fucking situation but like calling Lily Tomlin things he should never be calling someone. He calls Um, her the C word right? Yes he does Fuck you! I'm just trying to fucking help you. Do you understand me? I'm being a fucking collaborator. I'm just trying to help you figure out the fucking picture. Hey bitch I'm not here to be fucking yelled at. I worked on this fucking thing for three fucking years not to have some fucking... That's one of them. The other one is one of the scenes where it's like the whole ensemble in the car and Lily Tomlin's in like the back seat fighting back. It's Lily Tomlin, Dustin Hoffman. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure Isabelle Huppert is there. Naomi Watts tries to, like, defuse the situation a little bit. Fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. Get the fucking thing together, fuck you. Oh, yeah, bullshit. That's why we spent five and five or six fucking hours doing something else. No! God damn it! You fucked it up, god damn you! Now get straight out and help. If you can't, if you can't help them, help me. That's right. Fuck you too. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm sorry. Don't get up. Don't get up. Um, but these didn't actually come out until a few years after the movie came out. Um, so it's like it's not in the mythos of like anything to do with Oscar in this movie, but it does like keep this movie in the conversation in a way that it's maybe kind of fallen a little bit and then there's like weirdos like us that still love it because I think for a lot of people I Heart Huckabees is infamous and I think it's because of that and so much of the movie makes so much sense once these videos came out Um, but like it's the artifact it is like the document we have to go with all of these stories of David O. Russell being a fucking asshole the thing about you know, those like, two leaked clips is it's uncomfortable to watch two people fighting and it's especially uncomfortable to watch a man in power yelling at a woman who is subordinate to him in some way. Um, and a legend. I think in that particular case, I think Lily Tomlin gives as good as she gets for one thing. And for another thing, mm-hmm. there's 
both of those clips have such weird comedic things that happen in the middle of them. There's the point in the scene where they're the the one where they're yelling at each other in the office where he comes out of one entrance to the scene, goes away, and then like bursts through like a different wall that he like exited through. And he just like <laughs> it just feels like he comes out of nowhere like a magician full of anger. And it's it's watching very these things funny. are very much like watching a David O. Russell movie. And then in the other clip where they're all in the car and it's mostly it's Lily yelling at an off screen David O. Russell and she's basically being like um, like, why don't you go prepared. You movie. don't know what you're talking about. We don't know what we're saying because you haven't told us, like, this whole kind of thing. And uh, Hoffman is just sort of mumbling things under his breath, trying to, like, calm her and trying to, like, like work this out. But also, he's just being very, like, low-key and, like, kind of... You can't tell whether he's also agreeing with her and grumbling or not. And Isabel is being totally separate from all of this and like pretending yeah. she doesn't speak English. And then Naomi, you're if right. There was sort of anyone like, at in this point, cast to be like, it was fine. It would be Isabel Huppert. Yes. And then at some point, you're right. Naomi sort of like pipes up and tries to say something to calm it down. And Lily just goes, "Oh, and don't you start with your bullshit." And it's just like, <laughs> "Oh my god, it's so good. It's so funny." And she immediately is just like, "That's it. I'm not. I won't. I won't say anything." She's like I, <laughs> I will leave my bullshit to myself. Oi. Um, I want to talk a little bit about Fox. We we can loop this uh, towards Fox Searchlight because I can't fathom this being a Fox Searchlight movie these days, especially now that they are owned by Disney. I know. Like, this movie is so, uh, like, of a piece to me of, like, the ascension of Fox Searchlight because Fox Searchlight was essentially one of these distributors that was, like... They have the big house, 20th Century Fox. Every major studio had their indie outfit. And this was about the time, and Sideways is incredibly linked to this, um, where, like, they started making a crazy amount of money on their movies. Um, And, like, this year alone, it was kind of, like, looped in a comedy thing, right? Because they had Garden State, they had this, they had Sideways, and they also had Napoleon Dynamite all making like crazy money like i remember when sideways came out it was like oh this is just this little scrappy movie it was like the underdog Mm -hmm. of the oscar season right and i'm like but this is a the movie ended up making like 70 million dollars so it's like how can you really claim green book had the same thing where it's like well no green book's actually the opposite where it's like this is a huge hit and it's like no it's not um green book ended up making a bunch of money but it was that like after after facts money where it was like it made right. most of its money after the Oscar yeah like nomination. any movie of that size could make that much money if it was allowed to stay in theaters for that long right um right. but no like once searchlight starts making this money it kind of like they it feels like just because they're releasing something it's automatically getting oscar buzz especially in right. later in the year and this is partly that for like this movie and oscar um Right. I don't know, but, like, this is right before they have, like, the three back-to-back of Juno, Slumdog Millionaire, and Black Swan all making $100 million, which is crazy to me that anybody else could do that. I just think Searchlight has this dominance over the awards season that puts movies already on a certain expectation and they can pull it off by making a lot of money for movies. 
it like was this movie uh, made 12 million dollars and that sounds crazy yeah it's fully crazy it was it was the sort of small budget um art house magic of miramax without any of the feel bad stuff about the weinsteins mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Where it's just like you can and look like, back and just be like, movies felt cool and hip and like on like closer to the pulse of what the culture was doing. Whereas like Miramax was always fine doing something a little like stuffier or fartier. You know? Sure. Yes. I think I think Miramax had its moments. Obviously, like Pulp Fiction is always going to sure. You know. Um, but like in this era in that we're talking about, like as Fox Searchlight oh, like, kind sure. of oh, to absolutely. be like yeah. dominant indie label, yeah, in a way. Oh yeah, it was beautiful to watch. Like it was, it was, you know, it was a hell of an era. I sort of, I, I, I mean, it's, it's not like, I mean, we have yet to see what Fox Searchlight in the Disney era is really going to be. I think next year will tell the tale more than anything because this year definitely yeah. feels like. Um, we're still sort of transitioning. We're still, you know, Disney's still sort of figuring out what they want to do with Searchlight and whether it, Well, you know, I mean, maybe this year is a little bit of a disappointment, though, because, like, if you look at the box office numbers for Jojo Rabbit right now, granted, we're still early in the ceiling, or the... Yeah. We're early in the season. I would say that those numbers are a little disappointing for what the expectation I think we're still... Was. I think we're still early on on Jojo Rabbit. I think that the full story of that movie hasn't fully been told. And if that and if it manages to be a best picture nominee, I think it's going to I think it's going to be a real contender to win. And I think there's a lot of wait and see, I think with Jojo. And I think that that means wait and see with Searchlight because, you know, as you know, one big win can change the fortunes of a lot of things. So, but Jojo Rabbit is sad. like the perfect example of a Searchlight movie. That if it wasn't Searchlight releasing it, would we have considered that an Oscar movie to begin with? And I don't think that's so. And like at some way, in some way, that puts the movie a little bit at a disadvantage, at least with what our perceptions and expectations are. But if say like. I don't know. If Universal had released that movie, would we expect it to – would we have it on, like, right. long-term predictions as that movie has? I don't think that's true. But because we Maybe know not. it's a Searchlight movie released in the fall, we have a certain expectation, not only yeah. for Oscar, but what it's going to do financially. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a very good point. I just – I don't know. I love I, – I think it's – Searchlight has never approached focus features level for me of, you know, warm and fuzzy feelings about what I'm about to watch, no matter what it is, <laughs> so long as I see that little uh, logo at the beginning. But, like, the the when the when Disney Plus announced all of its programming, and I think I tweeted something about, like, add the entire cat- catalog of Fox Searchlight, or I will not care. And then I sort of, like, started going through the movies, and it's just, like, it's a batting average for, like, me personally. It's just, like, it's everything is almost targeted right to my sweet spot. And, like, the few things that aren't your Napoleon Dynamites or whatnot, like, there comes so few and far between. Like, I've loved so much... Of the searchlight output over the last 15 years. I mean, like, it is truly, like, a dominant thing. And, like, as we will uh, probably be able to talk to about them again, 
Uh, this is their 25th anniversary. They have a huge library and a huge library of potential This Hot Oscar Press titles. Joseph, I have a quiz yes. for you. It's pop I'm quiz so time. It is I'm pop so quiz excited. time. We are going to go through to celebrate the 25th anniversary of Fox Searchlight. We are going to, I am quizzing you on titles that could have had Oscar buzz or had some type of awards trajectory. And you have to tell me which film I am talking about. It is a multiple choice quiz to help you along. But because it is also a 25th anniversary, you are having 25 questions. I'm into it. See how many you can get correct. All right, let's do this. All right, this is all centered around Precursor Awards, and because it's also, okay. we're talking independent film, you'll have some Sundance in there. It's going to be National okay. Board of Review, it's going to be the Globes, and it's going to be the AARP movies for Grown Up the Wars. <laughs> I love it. So get ready. Joseph, here we go. Mm-hmm. Your first question. Which of these films won the Hollywood Film Award, one finger quotes, scare quotes, for Best Actress, <laughs> was it? Battle of the Sexes. Amelia... Or the good girl, the good Once girl, and all Fox Searchlight uh, films. The good girl is incorrect. It was Hilary Swank for Amelia. For Amelia, <laughs> for Amelia a movie that we will eventually it. do. Hollywood Film Awards, you whores. Yep, yep. Hillary Swank. Fantastic. All right, second question. Which film won the Sundance Film Festival Directing Prize? Was it The Good Girl, The Deep End, or Martha Marcy May Marlene? I want to say it was Martha Marcy May Marlene. That is correct. It was Martha Marcy yeah. May Marlene, Sean Durkin. Sean Durkin. His second film yeah. comes out next year with Jude Law. I'm very Exciting. excited for that. And I believe Carrie Coon. Um, moving right along. Which of these films did not win the National Board of Review Best Debut Director Award? Was it One Hour Photo, Garden State, or Thank You for Smoking? So two did and the third did not. Yes, which of these did not win? One Hour Photo, Garden State, okay. or Thank You for Smoking? So, Mark Romanek, Zach Braff, Jason Reitman. I'm going to say for irony's sake that Reitman was the one who didn't. That is incorrect. It is Mark Romanek for One Hour Photo. Um, next okay. question. <laughs> which film won the National Board of Review's Freedom of Expression Award? Was it <laughs> The Birth of a Nation, Conviction, or Never Let Me Go? I think by the time the awards came out, we were we were beyond... The Birth of a Nation in terms of awardability. I'm going to say Conviction. Conviction is correct. The Freedom yes. of Expression Award. Uh, uh, which film was not on the National Board of Review's top 10 independent films list? Was it The Namesake, Waitress, or Martha Marcy May Marlene? Wait, should I be keeping my score? Uh, I will keep your I'm score. I'm going to just you mark down whenever I get them right. Correct. Yes, you have had two correct so far. Question number five. Which of these was not on National Board of Review's top independent films list? The Namesake, Waitress, or Martha Marcy May Marlene? All right. The Namesake, Waitress, Martha Marcy May Marlene. One of them was not on their top independent. I'm going to say... I also want to say Martha Marcy May Marlene, but I don't know whether you'd give me two of those where that's the right answer. So I'm going to say Waitress. 
incorrect. It is Martha Marcy May Marlene. Perhaps Motherfucker! We talk about that movie as much as possible. No, the namesake and waitress were on the same top independent film list. The same oh my year. gosh, 2007. Sure, yeah. Pivoting right along to the next National Board of Review title. Um, I wonder, is this episode coming out during National Board of Review? Hopefully there's some crazy shit on there. Um, yeah. Like my prediction that the Aeronauts will be on their top ten. Um, I want it to happen. Speaking of their top ten, which of these films was on the National Board of Review's top ten? The History Boys, The Secret Life of Bees, or La Divorce? I think it was The History Boys. I think I remember It this. was indeed The History Boys. Yeah. All right, next question. Which film was nominated for Best Musical or Comedy at the Globes? Was it Battle of the Sexes, Napoleon Dynamite, or Bend It Like Beckham? Oh, gosh. Battle of the Sexes got acting nominations, but I don't know if it got a Best Picture nomination. Napoleon Dynamite... See, this is the thing where I don't like Napoleon Dynamite, so I would never put it on like when I do lists of like Golden Globe Napoleon Best Picture nominees that are actually movie. really good. And then the third is Bend It Like Beckham. Yes. Uh, I'm going to say Napoleon Dynamite. Incorrect. It is Bend It Like Beckham. Ah, I almost said Bend It, it Like Beckham. Best God damn it. Best comedy nominee at the Globes. All right. All right. Next question. Which of these was nominated for Best Actress in a Drama at the Globes? Was it The Deep End, Martha Marcy May Marlene, or Amelia? It was The Deep End. Tilda it was, was The Deep End. Deep Tilda Swinton. Yeah. Great performance. That Elizabeth Olsen wasn't nominated for Martha Marcy May Marlene at the Globes was like, that was when you knew that, like, oh, they're just not going to like, go for oh, it. Which yeah, is crazy this because, like, not happening. Because it happened the year after Jennifer Lawrence in Winter's Bone, and you're just like, mm-hmm. oh, um, ingenue actress comes out of nowhere to deliver this like searing performance and put herself on the map. Obviously, it's going to follow the exact same path, and it just fully didn't. And it's still very puzzling to me that it didn't. She's so good. I would love to do an episode on that movie because anyway. I love that movie. Um, Let's do it. But yeah, you're right. When that did not happen at the Globes, it was like, okay, this movie is not what we thought it was going to be or do. Um, But it's great. It's a horror movie. It's wonderful. It is. It's about cults. Um, uh, Next question, question number nine, which was not nominated for Best Actor in a Musical or Comedy at the Globes? Was it The Old Man and the Gun, Enough Said, or Thank You for Smoking? Was not nominated for Actor? Actor in a musical or comedy. Old Man and the Gun, it, Enough Said, and Thank You for Smoking. Redford was definitely nominated for Old Man and the Gun. I'm pretty sure Aaron Eckhart was for Thank You for Smoking. And I think Gandolfini was being campaigned and supporting that year for Enough Said. So I will say Enough Said. Well done. It is Enough Said. I was trying to All trick right. you. Next <laughs> question. We're moving on to SAG. Which of these films was SAG nominated for Best Actress? Is it Battle of the Sexes, The Good Girl, or Conviction? One of them was? It was a nominee. It was Battle I remember of the Sexes. Car- Carell the got a nomination. Conviction. I remember Carell got a SAG nomination, and everybody kind of flipped out. But maybe not Emma Stone. And then Good Girl, no. I would have remembered if that got a SAG nomination. I'm going to say it was Hillary Swank and Conviction. It was, in fact, Conviction, one of our signs that 
SAG always pays attention to early stuff that is bad, like <laughs> the train. Yeah. Yeah. So we will see what movie that will be this year. Um, Indeed. Shout out to Helen Mirren in The Good Liar. She's probably <gasps> they'll nominate her for anything. Um, next question still on SAG. Which was SAG nominated for supporting actor? Is it Martha Marcy May Marlene, Enough Said, or Conviction? It should have been Martha Marcy May Marlene. I think it was Enough Said. Gandalf it indeed was said. Enough Said. Well done. Thank you. Uh, next question. We're talking Indie Spirits now. Which was not Independent Spirit nominated for Supporting Actor? Is it Napoleon Dynamite, The Namesake, or Garden State? Which was not nominated. The Namesake was... The Namesake definitely was... I think Garden State also was. So what's the third one? Napoleon Dynamite. It's either Garden State or Napoleon Dynamite. Maybe Garden State wasn't. I'm thinking like either that it would have been Peter Sarsgaard, but maybe Ian Holm. No. I'm going to say Garden State wasn't. Garden State was not. Napoleon Dynamite was nominated for Uncle Rico, John Grease. As you mentioned, the namesake was for the great Irfan Khan. Next question. Which was not nominated for Best First Screenplay at the Independent Spirits. Oh, boy. Was it Thank You for Smoking, Me and Earl and the Dying Girl, or Garden State? Which was which not one was? nominated. Which was not. Okay. Thank You for Smoking, Me and Earl and the Dying Girl, and Garden State. Me and Earl and the Dying Girl. Incorrect. It is Thank You for Smoking. It was a trick question. Uh, it won f- somehow for best screenplay and not best Even first though it screenplay. was a first screenplay. Wild. I do believe okay. that Jason Reitman did not have any other screenplays before this. Yeah, I don't think so, yeah. But he won in that category. It was a trick. Um, which was nominated for international film at the Indie Spirits? Was nominated. Is that Shame, Bend It Like Beckham, or Stoker? International film. I'm going to say, if, if it was Stoker, I would remember it, is my rationale there. Bend it like Beckham or Shame. Shame, like, didn't get hardly anything, but it did get, like, a few things sprinkled out there. I know he got a Globe nomination. I'm going to say Shame. It is Shame. Well done. Yay. Next question, which was not nominated for female lead at the Independent Spirit Awards? Martha Marcy May Marlene, The Good Girl, or Waitress? Waitress. Carrie Russell, I don't Waitress think Waitress is correct. Uh, I put that question in there just to talk about what a complete shame it is that Carrie Russell ended up it's with true. a goose egg her whole That's what shame is about. being recognized. Yes, it is a shame. <laughs> yes, sex edition <laughs> the film shame and was, Carrie yes. Russell's awards trajectory. Boy, that's a college uh, which... paper I want to read. Sex Addiction and Carrie <laughs> Russell's Awards Trajectory. <laughs> Do it's my have, thesis like, for what, grad school. What like major awards has Carrie Russell actually won? Did she win the Emmy for the Americans ever? No, Matthew Reese won uh, the last year for the Americans. Carrie Russell never won. I don't know if she's ever Damn, we gotta fix won that. a major award. Yeah. She'll be in next year's Searchlight uh, horror film called Antlers that looks great. <laughs> uh, Probably not an trailer. awards play there, Spooky but yeah. Spooky shit. Um, yeah. yeah, well, who cares? It looks good. Um, yeah. Next question. Which film was nominated for Best First Feature from the Director's Guild? 
Was it The Birth of a Nation, Me and Earl and the Dying Girl, or Patty Cakes, also known this is... as Patty Cake Dollar Sign? Wait, this is from what organization? The Directors Guild of America, the DGA, and their recently and... adapted Best First Feature Prize. Which one was or wasn't? Was nominated. Birth of a Nation, okay. Me and Earl and the Dying Girl, or Patty Cakes? <sighs> Directors Guild... Me and Earl and the Dying Girl. Incorrect. It is the birth of a nation. Wow. I'll, that's wild. But also, I need to stop guessing me and Earl and the Dying Girl. <laughs> it's <laughs> leading me astray. Uh, congratulations. You, we are the first people to ever invoke the name of me and Earl and the Dying Girl since the year that movie came out. Congratulations. Everybody. That's true. Yeah. Moving on to BAFTA. Which film was nominated for Best British Film at BAFTA? Was it Never Let Me Go, The History Boys, or Shame? Never Let Me Go. Incorrect. It was Shame. Fuck! Fuck. Uh, Which film won BAFTA's Best Supporting Actress Prize? Was it The History Boys, The Ice Storm, or Shame? I was going to say, I think this is Shame, Carrie Mulligan. Incorrect. It was the ice storm for Sidney Weaver. I thought that was the easiest question for you. I wanted to give you at least one obvious one. No, I don't know BAFTA very well. I I always forget BAFTA stuff. BAFTA does have some weird stuff. Uh, Moving along to the MTV Movie Awards. Rest in peace to whatever you are now. Uh, Which film was nominated for MTV's Breakthrough Performer? Was it The Way Way Back? Me and Earl and the Dying Girl, or Martha, Marcy, Mae, Marlene? Oh, my God. Um, I think the Olsen twins connection would pull it through for Elizabeth for Martha, Marcy, Mae, Marlene. Incorrect. It is the way, way back. Well, at least it wasn't fucking me and Earl and the Dying Girl, because I would have been pissed <laughs> if the one time I didn't guess it. That that was... Wait, so who would have Which... been their breakthrough? The, the boy? Yes. Who we don't even know his name? Good job, MTV. A Liam uh, something or other. I, yeah, yeah, I knew his name when I made this quiz last night. It was an <laughs> early morning. Um, which film was nominated for MTV's Best Kiss Award? Battle of the Sexes, Garden State, or Napoleon Dynamite? All right. So MTV does tend to go for the same-sex kisses as being important, but Battle of the Sexes happened pretty late in the game for them to be impressed by two ladies kissing i don't know i don't Maybe know they just like seeing emma stone kiss a lady garden state was very big with the mtv demo at that point and they definitely do kiss but i don't know if it's like momentous enough and like napoleon dynamite like nerd kisses a girl like we like to see that or whatever um so i guess what i'm saying is i have no idea so i'm just gonna guess garden state <laughs> It was indeed Garden State, I believe, for okay. like the closing kiss, or maybe it's when at they the airport. The Something. Yeah, stupid. one of those two. Yeah. I Your like remaining State, five questions. I'm going to pivot to liking Garden State. What's that? Ugh. Um, uh, your remaining five questions are all around our beloved AARP movie for Grown Up Awards. <gasps> yes. Get. I'm just going to take a pause really quickly, though, and say Garden State would be a really good episode. For us Maybe to do. we'll do Garden State at some point. There's a lot. There's a lot to talk about there. Actually, there's a lot there's of meat a lot on that to one. talk about. It's the very beginning of Peter Sarsgaard, where we're like predicting him for things. Though no, wait, no, it's the year after Shattered Glass. 
it is the year after Shattered Glass, but like there's a lot to talk about in terms of Sundance hype. The Natalie Portman mm-hmm. uh, uh, effect of that year was really big. Like there's the the you know the the attraction revulsion parabola of Zach Braff in terms of like hot new thing, and then everybody was like, "Boo, Zach Braff!" Like there's a lot to talk about. We should do it. But it's also like that one feels like this is such a like big searchlight year that like that felt like it could have been a thing, and searchlight like made the decision that they were not they were going to go all in on sideways. So it's like something like that. Yes. They didn't really even push for screenplay. So it's like. I, I think as it, much this as is just an interesting year for Searchlight. As much as the Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, people hate Sideways for stealing that movie's award season thunder. Garden State could have been a Best Picture nominee that year if not for Garden, if not for Sideways, and I would say also Closer. I think Closer. Re- this is stealing- an interesting year of if we did, if like you did the predictions of. If it was a 10 best picture year, how would that change the Oscar race in the way that people were campaigning? And I bet they would have pushed Garden State a lot more and it could have been in a 10 lineup, you know? This will all be discussed in length on our Garden State episode, which... (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) will be two hours and we'll make people pay for it. And Chris will never stop vomiting. And I'm going to pivot hardcore to loving Garden State. And I'm going to make Chris listen to the shins at, like, every 10-minute interval. (laughs) I'm going to force force another shin song. Although, secret about Joe, Joe doesn't know a single shin song at all. I couldn't even name you the title. Well, you know new slang because it's in that fucking movie. Like, that's, like, the type of thing that it feels like. If you played yeah. that song to me right now, I I wouldn't be able to pick it out of a lineup. I'm that bad with like cool mm, music. It's I mean like I don't want to say iconic, but it's pretty distinctive. I think you would. I think you okay. would. Okay. Okay. Anyway, all right. Final five that questions. That was our intermission about the before awards. five yes. questions on the AARP movies for grown ups awards. I I stalled you so I could bring up the AARP movies for grown ups awards on my computer. No. If I you cheat, I will kill you. Why would I cheat? This whole thing is about me proving to myself that I'm smart enough to host this podcast. Like, are you kidding me? This is about me. This is about <laughs> me, me proving it to daily. me. Um, yeah. No. Looking at these questions, though, I will say I feel like I could have picked a wider group of movies. But, like, if you want to talk about, like, this had Oscar buzz titles, where they show up for Searchlight, <laughs> like, they must have, like, some major in. They're paying for the catering at this event or something. Because Searchlight <laughs> is everywhere among the right. AARP Movies for Grown Up Awards. Anyway, your first question on this final stretch Which film was nominated for an AARP Movies for Grown Ups supporting actor? Was it Conviction, Waitress, or The Old Man and the Gun? For supporting actor? Supporting actor. Conviction, Waitress, and The Old Man and the Gun. All right. I don't know. Well, I guess Danny Glover, I guess, is a supporting actor in The Old Man and the Gun. Um, Casey Affleck is. um, uh, Yeah. Yeah, and uh, if I had gotten, if I had PBS availability last year and was able to watch it live, I might remember it better, but I don't. Okay, so Waitress would have been like Andy Griffith, which I could see the AARP people. <laughs> That's the old Simpsons Matlock joke about like old people love <laughs> Matlock, so maybe that would have crossed over into Waitress. And then what's the third movie? Conviction. For Sam Rockwell, who was getting like a little bit of Oscar buzz, I feel like that year. More, he's the the only one of those three movies that would have gotten like any kind of buzz anywhere else. I'm gonna say Sam Rockwell and Conviction. Incorrect. It is Andy Griffith for Waitress. 
<laughs> I old people. put that question in there because I was like, he's not going to remember Andy Griffith is in that movie. Nope. But you did. Of course I so did. Of course I, I, I did. shouldn't doubt you, but you still didn't get it right. Um, I still didn't get which, it right. <laughs> moving along, which film won the AARP movie for Grown Ups Best Comedy? Is it The Way Way Back, Bend It Like Beckham, or Thank You for Smoking? Boy, thank you for smoking is the secret award season player of all of this stuff. Thank you for smoking um, is very surprising. It did not have at least a screenplay nomination. It showed up in a lot of stuff. I don't know how older people would have reacted to something like thank you for smoking. Um, I'm going to say... I don't know how they would have reacted to Bend It Like Beckham either. It's such a youth-focused movie. I'm going to say The Way Way Back... The Way Way Back, which I don't know how they responded to that at all because it is such a nothing movie. Um, Thank you for smoking. Mm -hmm. They responded just fine because they nominated it for Best Comedy. Okay. Thank you for smoking was my stealth. Like, I'm going to trick you with this this whole (laughs) quiz. Um, Go back. I tried to trick you several times. Um, Next question. Which film won the AARP Movies for Grown Ups Best Intergenerational Film? Was it the oh best boy. exotic Marigold Hotel, the namesake, or bend it like Beckham? Was it the best exotic Marigold Hotel, the namesake, or bend it like Beckham? Best intergenerational film. So I guess the intergenerational part of best exotic Marigold Hotel is the Dev Patel factor. I would. I'm going to say honestly. I think it's the namesake. It is the namesake. Congratulations. Yeah. Uh, Bend It Like okay. Beckham was nominated. Best Exotic Marigold Hotel was not. Uh, which film Would they have put they... Intergenerational Story as Jonathan Rhys Myers and Keira Knightley as a sly uh, <laughs> criticism of that movie? Of the age I difference? I don't know. And the inappropriateness Some of that Some of the nominations for that category is like two people that have an age gap of like 50 years or 40 years have a conversation uh, sometimes can be the nominees for this category, but I love that it right. exists, so it doesn't matter. Uh, coming up on the home stretch, which film won the AARP Movies for Grown Ups Best Grown Up Love Story? Was it The Best Exotic Marigold Hotel, Old Man and the Gun, or Enough Said? I mean, Enough Said is the right answer. I'm going to say The Old Man and the Gun. Old Man and the Gun is a wrong answer, and Enough Said is both the right answer and the just answer. It is the winner. Your final question, obviously, has been the lead-up to the most important prize of the season. Which film won the AARP Movies for Grown Ups Best Movie for Grown Ups? Was it Battle of the Sexes, The Old Man and the Gun, or The Best Exotic Marigold Hotel? Best Exotic Marigold Hotel. Best Exotic Marigold Hotel. Yes. The most predictable yeah. best movie for grown-up winner ever. It's Joseph, you did really it, well. What was I'm your concerned. tally? I think I had, what, 14 out of 25? That's, That's not bad. That's pretty good. Yeah. You know your Fox Searchlight right. history. I better. Thank you, Chris, for that game. That's a fantastic way to spend your time. Um, love you, Fox Searchlight. <laughs> and birthday. hope you find a way to survive. Happy birthday. Fox Searchlight, you're 25. You can go rent a car. Um, <laughs> don't let Disney kill you. 
Um, don't punt on Ben Zeitlin's Wendy, unless it is yeah. terrible. Can we talk we about Lily Tomlin's physical comedy in I Heart Huckabees? It's so funny. I, the, I don't know if that was really her diving into the back of the car, but like, it's so... So funny to watch Vivian just sort of like take that running leap into the backseat of the car, but also where she like pirouettes into the meeting room and places a little microphone on the wall and then like goes back out again, like, like couldn't detect her. It's so funny. She's great. Fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. It makes me love her performance even more that this whole like behind the scenes blow up happened because like if you were to predict... Who I mean, and maybe it did happen to more people. We just don't have video of it. But if you were yeah. to predict who a type of blow up like that would have happened based off of the performance they're giving in this movie, she would maybe be the last person I would predict. Right, her because her character is on such so like deal. loose and very funny. Like it's very much in vain with like what she does with Robert Altman. I think, and like I mean, we just did an Altman episode, but maybe like. That's yeah. kind of something that David O. Russell is going for here. But, like, yeah. yeah, I love Lily Tomlin in this movie. She just feels, like, kind of free. She's super funny. She has great chemistry with Dustin Hoffman for, like, yes. both of them just, like, being weirdos together. Right. Yeah. They're, they're, that, that marriage is very... You can see the, like... I love that they tackle two different angles of Albert's case. That, you know, he goes right to the blanket. He goes right to, you know, explaining infinity to Albert while she's tackling it like a detective, like a an investigator. And she's sort of figuring out she's going through trash and she's, you know, sneaking around into Albert's workplace and all this sort of stuff. It's it's really it's also it's like really the type effective. of like chemistry where they're playing that married couple that like at any moment could maybe be physically inappropriate in front of all of <laughs> yes. us. Like. They could just, like, break into fucking at any given moment and, like, it tiptoes to the line of, like, are they going to make me uncomfortable? Um, Speaking of fucking in this movie making you uncomfortable. Yeah, the mud fucking. Can we pivot to the the mud fucking? I have a feeling that for the people who ended up not connecting to I Heart Huckabees, the mud fucking is maybe where they they got off the train. (laughs) Like, it's at that point that the movie just becomes... Very absurd. That's also like the John Bryan score becomes uh, so weird at that point. This long to talk about the John Bryan. That weird score sort that of is wonderful. What is it? What are they chanting while they're dunking each other's faces in the mud? Is it just like nothingness? Um, <laughs> right? Aren't they just like nothingness? <laughs> emptiness and it's all just like and this the music is very just like um john bryan's score for i heart huckabees by the way he also did the score this year for eternal sunshine of the spotless mind like one of the great one two punches in composer in movie composer history it's fantastic Mm -hmm. Uh, parts of this movie sound like extraordinary machine the fiona album album extraordinary machine which is interesting I mean, it's that because era that like they would have been working on it, but like not releasing it because the bootleg, which we've talked about on mic before, came out in '05. Then the bootleg is the one that has most of Brian's fingerprints on it, and yet, yes, if you listen to the non-bootleg version of a song like "Oh Well," "Oh Well" sounds like it got lifted out of 
I Heart Huckabees. And mm-hmm. I think that's really, that's, that's incredibly interesting. And that the oh well that's on the bootleg version sounds less Huckabeesy to me. you did to me made me see myself something different i don't yeah. know listeners there, go there investigate like that this... let me know if i'm crazy <laughs> no i agree with you because i remember the actual studio album being like some of these that are actually have been retooled since john bryan have been made to sound more john bryan it's yeah i love john bryan um i'm going through my notes here there's a part that like I didn't notice until this time, where Brad is having a meeting with at Huckabee's corporate about the event, and the guy who he's talking to is talking about how he had done a, a Garth Brooks event, but he's saying Garth. I did we had we yeah. got Garth for our event, and Brad is so impressed. First of all, which a of course like that's another perfect perfect celebrity icon for Brad Stand is. Um, is Garth Brooks, but he goes, Garth, he goes, Garth Garth or Chris Garth? <laughs> the guy goes, classic <laughs> Garth. And, and it's just like, and it's a, and they, then you never hear about it again. But it's just like, it's such a perfect way of just being like, we all know what he's talking about when he says Chris Garth, but like they don't explain it at all. It's great. I love it so much. That and the Pete Sampras standee in his office, which I also hadn't noticed until this time around. <laughs> like, it's so good. Sorry, what were you saying? All of these, like, country... No, I was going to say, like, part of, I think, the other reason, because you were, like, the mud-fucking is the thing that, like, breaks people, like, off in this movie. And I think some of it, too, like, the consumerism conversation that it is, is, like, it's a thinly-veiled Walmart joke throughout the whole movie. And it's, like, is that really all that funny? Like, I think maybe that's the thing. Like, this was maybe a little bit late to make Walmart jokes. I wish it was real Walmart because I just want to see Isabelle Huppert walk into a Walmart. Yes, also true. I think as to whether it was too late to be making Walmart jokes, I think if it were more about mocking Huckabee's, like we never set foot into a Huckabee's store. I think that's crucial. I think it's all taking place at the corporate headquarters and it's all on the like advertising and corporate level, which I think allows it to become a critique of not just two or three chains of specific big box stores, but like, as you said, like consumerism as a whole, like capitalism in the United States as a whole and, and does so via this incredibly ludicrous story arc of Dawn especially. Like, Dawn's arc is the one that sort of traces the, the figure around the corpse of capitalism in the, in, on the sidewalk, right? Um, mm-hmm. And that, like, and that's where the Fuckabees thing comes in, where it's just, like, the panic that somebody wouldn't be going along with the plan. Do you know what I mean? I think that's what Fuckabees <laughs> is. It's just like, what if you just said fuck you to the entire system? And it's just like, oh my God, like what the hell is going on? And also <laughs> the argument, that's the thing is right after the mud fucking is when Dawn goes off the rails. That's the next scene is her mm-hmm. in the bonnet um, following him out to the driveway and him like not giving her her car keys so that she won't go to Huckabees, which is like so controlling. Um, 
<laughs> but and him just like trying to assess her and just like I don't know like the milkmaid like I don't know what's I don't get what's going on <laughs> and bonnet. he's so mad at her for taking the Jaffies seriously because the whole, whole point in him hiring the Jaffies was to get at Albert and he didn't think and of like Don it seems in that like a cool thing to do like he gets cool points if he yeah. does it yeah, 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 yeah. That whole, like, bringing up that Don's breakdown comes right after the mud fucking. Like, the mud fucking makes, like, the midpoint where it's, like, everything kind of starts to collapse. And that's when you really see Brad's, like, slow breaking. Which, like, to yeah. loop it back to Jude Law's performance, it's, like, after that point is when Jude Law gets really, really good. But, like, everybody else is in chaos, essentially, at that point. Yeah. I want to talk about, um, and very briefly, because this is an anecdote, but um, Darlene Hunt, who plays uh, Jude yes. Law, who plays Brad's assistant in this movie, who gets a great we'll fucking scene. fucking destroy you, Gary. <laughs> well, that's, that's, that's her fantastic. like big line in the movie. Opposite of um, we but, love you, Gary. <laughs> that's, a, that's the continuum, is we'll destroy you, Gary, to we love you, Gary. That's where we've come. We no, but she also gets that scene where she's... straight lines from I Heart Huckabee's Two Hustlers. She has that great scene where she's trying to get Lily Tomlin out of the building and she keeps like losing her. And every time like <laughs> Lily like ducks into a meeting and she's just like, You're a sneaky little thing. We gotta get you out of here. And it's so like she's insincere. a stray cat or something. But also it's just like she's talking to her with such like barely veiled contempt in her voice. So Darlene Hunt is a is a character actress who not even like we talk about character actresses sometimes where it's like these are women who we mostly know we know Margot Martindale's name we know um you know I'm trying to think of who are the other like character actress touchstones like Anne Dowd you know what I mean like yes like Mm -hmm. these are all character actresses too but there are a lot of character actresses who are very much the old you know it's the old fame tracker hey it's that guy thing right it's you know we don't you genuinely don't know their names but you know their faces so this would have been about god like six or seven or eight years ago my friend jeff drake um on twitter comes on twitter and i think he might have been on the airplane at this point or had just gotten off i think he was on the airplane when it all started he goes he's like help me out here i'm on an airplane with an actress She's got red hair. I don't know who she is. I don't know what I know her from. I have nothing. All I have to go with is... So he keeps like trying to describe her face. This must have been after. Although I guess if, if it was concurrent, like props to him for never like taking a photo. Because um, don't take photos of strangers um, and put it on Twitter. But So I think it was after the fact. He was trying to describe what she looked like in these very sort of like specific terms and eventually it turned into this giant long thread of me and uh, like all this sort of like circle of people throwing out names of character actresses to people and being like is it this person and then it became just like the pitch of it got very urgent and then ultimately very (laughs) angry that we've thrown like 30, 40, 50 names at him, and it's just like, no, I'm like, what did I said? Like, at one point, I was just like, Judith Hogue. I suggested Judith Hogue from um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and he didn't answer me right away, and I was just like, Judith Hogue, tell me yes or no. And he's like, no. I'm like, Patricia Kalember from uh, Sisters. He's like, no. Um, I, I, I was, it was an entire evening of people getting like increasingly. Furiously frustrated. Shabon Fallon. You have to tell me who got Darlene Hunt. I can't remember. 
who it was who got to, I think nobody, I think he ended up, he got home and he like did a, like, you know, tooled around on the computer and he's like, it's Darlene Hunt. And I think we all were just like, fuck you. Just like, because like, because we're all now looking at Darlene Hunt. That's not what you described. You said her hair was primary strawberry blonde more than red. And we're just like, she's a legit redhead. And like, we're just, so whenever I see, a Darlene Hunt in anything, or even like her name show up in a cast of something. I like that, like Pavlovian. It was just like fucking Jeff. Like, I can't believe that the goddamn God. Darlene Hunt thing went on for as long as it did. But it was one of those, just like how many character actresses with who have like sometimes had red hair? Like, it's not even like the full, I don't know. It's truly, truly a moment in time. But I will never forget to quote Whitney Houston. So, yes. Anyway, that's my Darlene Hunt story. Darlene Hunt is an awesome character actress. She's also done, like, TV shows that I love. Like, she did The Big C, which, shut up, I love that show. Um, And she's also doing Dickinson on Apple right now, which, Dickinson is amazing if you haven't watched it. Who is she on Dickinson? I haven't watched it She produces and and she's on the writing team, it looks like. Oh, I see. She's also on the show. I just forget who she plays. Does she play the maid? Either way, have you it's watched a perfect show? How is Haley Steinfeld in that? Wonderful. Really? The show is wonderful. Everything is wonderful. <laughs> Everything is great. Everything is fine. Don't worry about it. It's the first like television show in a while that I was unabashedly loved. I'm trying to stall because I want to bring up who else I uh, suggested because it was I want to give like the list of this. Give me like half a second. If I can't find it, we can move on. Get the fucking thing together. Fuck you. Was there mayo on your chicken salad sandwich? Maybe that was the problem. That's what it was. I puked because of the mayo on my chicken salad sandwich. It's the way he says. He goes, "She, the lady doesn't like mayo. Like, it's, it's so... It's the bragging, too, because, like, why would you yep. brag about making a multi-million yes. dollar recording artist puke? Well, that's why I love when they, like, explain it to him like, later. Like, like, part of it is, you know, you want to brag that you know Shania, but also part of it is showing that you had control over her like they really like break, which break really it speaks to like you mentioned that it's kind of an angry movie like it is that specific kind of anger that yeah. is like a powerlessness in the world and like when people can exert some type of power or control over their circumstance like it's all about yeah. look at this win look what i have it's it's for as over the top as that character is, he's very relatable. Like you can, or, or he's very um, recognizable, not relatable. God, mm-hmm. um, although a little bit again, as I said, with the telling the stories all those times in a row, terrifying, yeah. horrifying, terrifying. I hate that. Oh God, I tend to relate to like, Dawn a little bit more in this movie. Like, yeah, I'm a garbage person, but like, here's my veneer broken down, and you better like my garbage. As well as the rest of me. Oh my god. Okay, wait. Um, all right. So now I'm bringing up the, the Darlene Hunt thread because I want to see who else. I mentioned Judith Hogue. Wasn't Judith Hogue? <laughs> At one point, I said Robin Weigert, even though like I've never seen Robin Weigert yes. in red hair. Um, <laughs> and then he like really leaned on us. No, I said Maybe a redhead. It's a strawberry and I was like, blonde part of it. So I said Lady Miss Keir, and he's like, no. Um, who else? Julie White, I suggested. Julie Fisher. Andrea Parker. I mean, though, again, I've never seen Andrea Parker as a redhead. Somebody guessed Jennifer Ely. I guessed Carrie Preston, because we were in, like, prime um, mm-hmm. Good Wife era at that point. 
it was wild. I guessed Florence Welch at one point, which can you imagine seeing Florence Welch on your flight? Character like, act, noted character actress Florence Welch. <laughs> well, I just imagine she just flies like on the wings of, you know, her own wings. Like, I think she just like, you know, a- apparates oh, to wherever she's going rather love. than like flies. Anyway, should cover um, on the wings of love. Oh, my God. She absolutely should. Ooh, I should add. Thank you for reminding me of that. I should add um, Seven Devils to uh, my best of the decade playlist. Mm. Is it Seven no, Devils? It would be on my right? worst of the decade playlist. In what? the new Xavier Dolan movie, The Death and Life of John <laughs> F. Donovan, there is a Florence uh, Welch cover of Stand By Me that Jacob Tremblay and Natalie Portman <laughs> run slow motion in the rain towards each other to. That is so absolutely skull crushingly abysmal. <laughs> I remember Boy, that. Take one, take one accessory friend, off before you leave the house. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's a Xavier Delon movie. One, yeah. Take one thing off before you leave the house, Xavier. Yeah. Um, I remember telling that scene to our friend and former guest, Nick Davis, and watching the light drain from his <laughs> eyes about halfway through of describing the scene. Like, I could see how oh it, hearing about it was affecting him, and I will never forget it. A moment I will never forget. Amazing. Moment, I mean, what a moment we'll never career. forget. Yes. All right. Um, anything else we want to talk about before we get into the IMDb game? Oh, my God. I mean, we've been here for about an hour and a half. We could probably stick around for another hour and a half to talk about this movie. I know. I love it so much. There's so much. I will continue to love it so much. Um, Brad trying to defend the quality of Phil Jackson's book to Albert during Moncala Hour is so <laughs> funny to me. Again, it's like the pre- the people we choose to have Brad uh, idolize is perfect, is utter perfection. Uh, I don't know. Well, I guess the Isabella Pear thing is this is the first time that I'd ever seen her because Same. despite some Same. of the things that I was watching way too early, I was not watching The Piano Teacher as a young teen. Um yeah. And, like, it's just such a distillment of, like, I think what we in America at least perceive her aura to be, that it's, like, it defined it for me for a while. But then when she was on the, like, campaign trail for Elle and she won the Globe... And, like, she was just, like, so sweet and effusive and, like, surprised that it's just, like, I want to see her play a nice, sweet person. I want to see her play Dawn. Oh, my God. That's amazing. I always I love, love that gif you always fun. use of Isabelle Huppert sort of staring down at the table and saying no like that. Yep, it um, is from the it is from that year that she was nominated for Elle, the actress roundtable, where uh, the question was something like, "Do you ever learn anything from your characters?" And she's just like, <laughs> "Nah, no, no. <laughs> like I don't care." She's a delight. She's a treasure. What does she have coming up? I guess we could have had her nominated for Frankie this year, but apparently Ugh. all y'all uh, decided you didn't like good movies anymore. Truly justice for Frankie. They didn't understand it. They didn't Ugh. understand it. They didn't understand it. It's too it. bad. It's. I like that movie. I will happily defend it. I think uh, people really didn't get what it was going for, and it's like you can't really try. Like They didn't really release it that well, so... 
We love her, though. Let's see what she's got coming up. She's got coming up a movie called Mama Weed. That sounds fun. Hell yeah. Isabel Huppert, like, I doubt that she will ever be, like, fully in the mainstream, but, like, she's so interested in, like, directors and working with people. I just really hope that we don't, like, get her, like, in a Wes Anderson movie or something. I think she'd be fun in a Wes Anderson movie. I keep making Mia Hansen love movies. I don't don't think see, like... I don't think we ever will stop seeing her in, in movies like that. But I also can't deny that I would like to see her... In a West you would like movie. to see it. I would like to see it. Um, yeah, I think I've gone through all my stuff on my notes. Let me make sure. Oh, Gene Smart yelling, you're the Hitler in that dinner scene is also <laughs> one of the great line readings of this movie. Um, Talia Shire, I mentioned. Mud fucking. Chris Garth. Pete Sampras. Chicken salad. Oh, at the end, when Albert recommends that, like, Brad now at his lowest point, he's like, you should go see Katerine. Would we want to see that movie, or is it so much better that we never do? I think it's so much better that we never do. But, like, part of me, the part of me that wants to open my Christmas presents early is also just like, "Mm, but I want to see it, maybe. I want to see what (laughs) what that would be like. Not that they would ever but make this I think this the movie thing again. that's, like, recognizable that we can see in a lot of people, maybe even sometimes ourselves, in, like, Brad's descent is, like, a lot of that is relatable. But I don't know how he builds himself back up from that in a way that is, like, as unintentionally yeah. relatable as that, like, his character arc is. Or as familiar, I should say, if we're not someone who, like, relates to, like, that veneer of trying to be, yeah, you know, perfect all the time. Yeah. It's a I don't good know. Point. I love this messy movie that is also perfect. Like it's perfect. The whole, like, it's messy and perfect. Of yep. all of it, like just really works for me, and it always has. And like yep. maybe some of that was when I was a teenager. Oh, it's a movie that like opens with a man screaming a bunch of curse words, and now it's just like this is actually kind of a really messy, human, very funny movie. That yeah. like there's just nothing like this like to the point where we mentioned earlier like searchlight would 100 percent probably not release this movie today yeah i don't know like it feels like one of a kind even though it's going on 20 years old now i i feel like there are different points in history where we would have looked at a screenplay for something like huckabee's and let it get an Oscar nomination. Because I feel like mm-hmm. this, it, I mean, it was the total wrong year for it because we already were getting screenplay nominations for um, Sideways right. and well, Eternal Sunshine. This was, of course, the year that Charlie Kaufman finally won the Oscar, wins for Eternal Sunshine, one of the greatest, most deserved Oscar wins of my lifetime. I was so, so happy. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I think also this movie in the era of, like, you're absolutely right that, like, especially for comedies or, like, comedies, like, left of center that are strange, they're only going to make so much room for that. Yeah, you get, like, one a year. But, like, I also think maybe this part of the reason people rolled their eyes on it is, like, this is in a post-Charlie Kaufman movie landscape right where people might think that it is derivative of that or like playing into like its own like the charlie kaufman vibe a little bit in a way that writes this movie off that i think it was perceived in that way or it was certainly promoted kind of in that way that i don't know if we would even think about that now the only thing in this movie that made me think of charlie kaufman was at the beginning when he finally makes it to the office 
of the existential detectives and he tells that guy at the desk like your your office is really hard to find because he's like winding his way through this like labyrinth of mm-hmm. hallways trying to get to that and that reminded me a little bit of the offices on the whatever 11 and a half floor or wherever the hell it is the the half floor yeah. in being John Malkovich but like that's basically and that's more of a Spike Jones thing like obviously that was in the script but like um I don't know. That was the one thing. I think Charlie Kaufman stuff is so much more self-referential. I never really thought of who the person writing this screenplay is when I was watching Huckabees. And like in a Charlie Kaufman movie, it's very difficult to not think of Charlie Kaufman because either mm-hmm. he like makes himself explicitly present or a lot of it feels, you know, autobiographical in a way of, you know, who's this person? Why would you write about this kind of thing? But I don't know. Anyway. I don't know. I think that, like, I don't know. I guess to put a pin on, like, what's great about this movie. Like, you you see a lot of, like, ensemble, like, like, not just comedies, but things that are a little bit irreverent or strange, especially in the wake of, like, what Altman was doing in the 90s. um, Mm -hmm. Where it's like, let's shove all of these characters in there and, like, center them around whatever this movie is doing, right? But, like, I think this is one of the better of like that like ensemble fascination going yeah. on in the 2000s and 90s in that like it moves so gracefully from one character to another when it is like when they are getting the focus that it feels like everybody's like balanced and not in the way that it's like well now we have to have a scene with Dawn and now we have to bring right. the uh investigators back into it and uh, now we have to check in with Isabelle Hubert it's not it never feels obligatory um and I don't know. I mean, like, I, I guess I just kind of appreciate that, especially in, like, how that integrates the whole interconnectedness themes of the movie. I don't know. Like, yep. I think this is a movie that does movie things better than it gets respect I think for. that's true. I think that's true. I agree. Love it. Great movie. Exceptional movie. We will watch it again sometime soon because yeah i might watch it again today like it's it's i really love it yeah should we move on to the imdb game yes please all right explain to the lovely listeners at home what the imdb game is oh our lovely listeners we love you how about every week we end our episodes with the imdb game where we challenge each other with an actor or actress to try and guess the top four titles of uh the top four titles that imdb says they are most known for if any of those titles are television or a voiceover performance we mentioned that up front it's only fair after two wrong guesses we'll get the remaining titles release years as a clue and if that is not enough it just becomes a free-for-all of hints because who doesn't like both hints or free-for-alls? So free-for-alls, freeze, freeze-for-all. How do we pluralize that? Think about that uh, while freeze for all. Chris and I quiz each other. Freezes-for-alls is. That was the ice cream truck that uh, drove around our neighborhood. Freezes-for-alls is. Okay. Chris, <laughs> I've got one for you. You've got one for me. Do we want to? Yeah. I guess you choose. Give first or guess I will first. give to you first. 
because okay. I have something that's maybe just a tiny bit evil. There is one David O. Russell film we didn't talk about, and, you know, why would you? It is the movie that was delayed for several years because he didn't finish filming it, formerly known as Nailed. It is now known as Accidental Love, and it is credited to uh, Stephen Green, I am seeing. It is a David O. Russell film that he does not claim, starring Jake Gyllenhaal and your IMDb Game Challenge, Jessica Beale. Chris, we did it again. Ah, did we both check? We chose Jessica the Biel. same. We both chose Jessica Biel for each other for the exact same reason. Um, I should have actually prepared for that, and uh, and I didn't. I and I'm sorry. Have to All right. as well, but I did not think that you would go for that. I let me look up my second one really quickly. Hold on. I thought it was so clever. Well, why don't you, since neither one of us can do it because we both know him, why don't you, or no, let's hold it in our pocket in case we want to give it to a guest. Maybe we point. might have a guest next week that we could just uh, throw that one at them. I was going to say, just like apropos of nothing, here is, yeah. Get ready, mystical guest <laughs> for Jessica Beale. I do have right. one for you. All right. You have one, and I've picked one up, too. So, yes. In okay. the spirit of uh, Justice for Frankie, I am here to give you one of the co-stars of that film opposite Isabelle Huppert, who actually gives a really good performance and might be on my ballot this year, playing the wife of Isabelle Huppert, or the husband of Isabelle Huppert's Frankie, Brendan Gleeson. Oh. What if I had also I also love Brendan, Brendan Gleeson. Gleeson one of my reasons. favorite actors. Okay, Brendan Gleeson. The thing about Brendan Gleeson is he's in so many things. Big big movies Quite that he's in small roles in, and then small movies that he's in big roles in. So it's tough. All right. Um, in Bruges. In Bruges, correct. All right. 28 Days Later? No. He should be. He's so good in that. That is, I will. I've I've written about that movie, the part that in that wonderful movie scene. That where he gets wonderful scene. the blood droplet in his eye is so good and harrowing and heartbreaking and well acted and it's ugh, I could talk about it forever. Okay, so not that. Um, oh, what was that movie he was nominated for at the Globes? Um. Is it called The General? Or am I thinking uh, of a different No, movie? but I think you you do have the right movie, but the wrong title. I will let you get the title. The wrong title. All right. It was... It's The Something, it's right? Globe nominee for comedy, I believe. Yes. With it's the right the something. Not The general. Guard. The Guard. The Guard. Correct. Okay. So you have two All more right. movies... And uh, you've gotten one wrong guess. Cold Mountain? Cold Mountain, correct. Nice. Okay. The last movie, All which right. I love this movie. I don't know if you'll get it. Uh-huh. I'm not giving you... Is it one of those Guy Ritchie plausible deniability where anybody could be in this movie and we'd know it? Okay. <laughs> Is it British? Uh, Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um... Huh. Brendan Gleeson. British. 
I don't know. I don't know if I'm gonna. I might just want to. Let me just like give me the years hint, and I'll burn a. I'll burn a guess. All right, we'll we'll take your Guy Ritchie guess as a guess. Yes, 2014. It is also a Searchlight title that could have been a This Had Oscar Buzz title. Is he in Mr. Turner? I love this movie. No, that's not Searchlight. Hmm. Oh, okay, you're right. Well, that's, that's this PC. was a summer release, so like it really didn't make any dent. But like from the Sundance reviews, like there was a time where we thought it could be a Brendan Gleeson nomination, but the movie was just too small. It's the same director as his guard director, who is I don't know if it's, I think it's the brother of the of Martin McDonough who directed him in In Bruges. Oh, that's interesting. Um... The brother. This movie has fully disappeared, and I don't think that it like exists in the consciousness in any way. But he's incredible in it. I don't know. Oh wait, I don't if know. If you the can title get the plot movie. or his profession, I will give it to you. Okay. All right. Now I'm trying to remember the plot of this movie. I mostly remember that like it was a thing that existed, but it's um oh. It's a one-word title. Yes. He's a priest. Yes, he is a priest. I told you I would give it to you if you got that. So the movie is called Calvary. Calvary. He's incredible in it. It is about a priest who, in confession, uh, a parishioner says he's going to kill him in, I believe, a week or something. Yes. And just kind of like going through his life until that event. Why haven't and... I seen this movie? Yeah. It's a really good movie, and he is incredible in it. He, he's one of my favorite actors, and it's probably my favorite performance of his. Yeah, I should put that so on check it out if you happen it. upon this movie that no longer exists. <laughs> right. Okay, so that's all of them. That was decently difficult. Yeah. It's satisfying. What do you so. have for me? All right, so we mentioned earlier that David O. Russell directed Three Kings. That was the movie upon which set that George Clooney got into a fist fight with him, which part of me is like, ooh, fist fight. And then part of me is just like, do we think George Clooney or David O. Russell are good at fist fighting? Like, what would that have looked no. like to, like, the layman's eye? They're not, like, bruising brawlers or anything. It's just, you know, a couple of indoor kids. Okay, um... <laughs> that movie, the trio of stars in that one was George Clooney, Mark Wahlberg, who was in um, this here, I Heart Huckabees, and Ice Cube, and then their little friend Spike Jones, and also. But um, Ice Cube is the one who I'm going to ask you to give the IMDb yeah. known for. Well, Friday. Friday is one of them, first and foremost, yes. All right. Boys in the Hood. Boys in the Hood, Yes. Barbershop. No, wild that it's not Barbershop. Wild. It was such a success. Yep. Huh. I feel like for a hot minute, Anaconda showed up on Jennifer Lopez's, so I'm debating if I need to guess Anaconda or not. Or... I mean, he's done so much. He did, like... um why do I remember this? But he did when Vin Diesel left Triple X, he took over Triple X. Right. Right. Um, That's insane. I'm assuming that it's not. Oh, no, no. He's done a bunch of movies for kids. Like, are we there yet? I'm going to guess that. Are we there yet? 
Are We There Yet's a great guess because it made a ton of money, but it is not Are We There Yet. Nor mm, is it the sequel. Wait, what was the sequel called? Hold on. Are We Done Yet? <laughs> All right. Well, you can't what a name, terrible title you can't for a, name a sequel you to a that? movie Are We Done Yet? You are asking for terrible reviews. Oi. Okay, so you get the All years All right, so now, what right? are my other two? Two strikes. Yeah. All right, your remaining years are 2000 and 2014. Mm. And just to be clear, these are acting roles. It's not like soundtrack yes. credits. Okay. No, these are acting roles. Two of them, th- actually three of his four uh, top fours, his first credit is producer, but they are all movies that yeah, he is he produces the a lot lead of actor in. Yeah. Um, so he's producer on both of these movies. He's also the lead Friday? actor. It is Next Friday. Awesome. I only know that from uh, the soundtrack. Uh, because <laughs> nice. I have that That's how I only know that the Crow City of Angels exists is because I owned that soundtrack. And the only reason I owned that soundtrack is because Hole had a cover of Gold Dust Woman on that soundtrack. And so I bought it just for that. <laughs> the age of CDs when you had to buy the whole mm-hmm. thing. I remember because it was his song that was also in the Say the Last Dance soundtrack, and I had both soundtracks, and you yeah. can get the unedited version on next Friday. Um, all right, what was my other year again? 2014. All right, so 2014, this is huh, when he's playing more like stuffier dads and cops. You is it 21 really Jump right Street? Track. No, that would have that year was 22 Jump Street and it was not that. But um mm. Well, you are really on the right track in terms of dads and cops. Is it a dad movie? It is a dad, a dad movie. A yeah. He plays a dad. Okay. But it's not are we there yet? Nope. Oof. Is it Oh, wait, sorry. It's not a dad. Um, I mean, he might be a dad in this movie, but his role in this movie, he's a cop uh-huh. and a brother. Okay. What's his cop movies? Did, mm, is this an action cop movie? I, like, it's is this more like of a, one of those movies that comes... There is action in it. I've actually never seen it, but I'm pretty sure there's action in it, but it's mostly a comedy. Is it the one it he made did it, with Kevin Hart? Yes, it is. Yes, because that I was going to say it made a ton of money, but not necessarily for Ice Cube. It is called Ride Along. Yes. Yeah. All right. Indeed. Indeed. Good Good job with Ice Cube. I could have put him on there for Twenty One Jump Street. He's so good. That's true. Uh, He's he's a really good actor. He's in a lot Um, of movies. Any last words on I Heart Huckabees before we move on? I know we could definitely do like a whole other episode to keep talking yeah. about this movie and the, how much we love it. I mean, it would feel wrong for the last word on I Heart Huckabees to not be Fuckabees because, like, truly, that's the thing I think that has endured most in the culture is if I throw out a, Huckabee, a Fuckabees gif, like, people will get it. People will know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Well, and also, I just feel like I mean, that sense of, you know, being so frustrated and beaten down by some corporate entity, like, Fuckabees feels like it could be an anthem at some point. Just like you could say Fuckabees to Amazon or to, you know, whatever. Google. 
the wide usability, uh, the versatility, the um, international implications. International the, implications uh, of fuckabees. Yeah, for sure. Of fuckabees. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess that's our episode. If you want more This Had Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thishadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. Please also follow us on Twitter at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz and also be sending in your mailbag questions to us at Twitter at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz or had Oscar buzz at gmail.com. Joe, please tell our listeners where they can find more of you. Sure. You can find me on Twitter at Joe Reed. Reed is spelled R-E-I-D. You can find me on Letterboxd also at, uh, or not at, I guess, Letterboxd as Joe Reed. One uh, word there. Reed spelled the exact same way. All right. I am also on Twitter doing my own uh, vernacular mudfucking at Chris V. File. That's F-E-I-L. <laughs> also on Letterboxd under the same name. Uh, and you can also find me writing regularly for the film experience. We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please, please, please remember to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and wherever else you get your podcasts. A five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcast visibility, so send us something nice and tell us that you love us with the bonnet. That's all for this week, but please, we hope you'll be back next week for more Buzz. Fuckabee! Glass between us. <laughs> <laughs> What happens at a meadow at dusk? Everything. 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 It's beautiful. It's beautiful.